Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Hey, today's message is called, or entitled, A Hill to Die On. And the big question today is, what hill would you choose to die on? A hill to die on. When I was younger... There were a lot of hills that I would die on. A lot of I had a, some pretty strong opinions about everything. Just ask me. And I was pretty argumentative. I had to learn some emotional intelligence. In other words, how to be less argumentative. In other words. And as I've gotten older, there are fewer hills that I will die on. I have become a lot less critical. Hopefully, somebody said that I was becoming more kind and more gracious. And typically, that's what happens when we age, isn't it? Not so much. Not so much. But I want you to think about hills that you would be willing to die on today. Just stepping back, hey, if you're online with us this morning, thanks for joining us. The last couple weeks, you had some really good preachers. Some of our guys on staff did a really good job while I was away. Originally, I was scheduled to be in Israel leading a group, and it didn't happen this year because of COVID, and so we postponed to next year. But we got some people that are in Israel and in Egypt right now that are from our congregation, so keep them in your prayers. But we're... This is kind of a one-off just to remind you of who we are, why we are, and why we do this thing we call church here at First Christian Church, Brazil, Indiana. Now, to, to kind of guide you in a little bit, I have another question. Do you know what the early church was called? Do you know what the early church was called? And it wasn't called Christian. In fact, Christian was a derogatory term, but the early church was called the way. Did you know that? They called themselves, actually people called them the way. Well, why did they call themselves the way? But first of all, I want to show you in the Bible where it actually says the way. If you turn with me in your Bible or your tablet, Acts chapter 9, verse 2, and this is the Apostle Paul. He was persecuting. He was Saul at this time. In Acts chapter 9, verse 2, he's requesting letters to go and persecute the church people, kill church people, stone church people, people that were following Jesus, and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This was what Saul, who later became Paul, who wrote probably two-thirds of the New Testament, was doing in Acts. Acts 19.9 says, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, these were the Jews at the time, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This was what the Apostle Paul was doing. In 1923, this is about that time there was no little disturbance concerning the way. You got to understand, following Jesus in that first century was radical. 
It was like today because do you realize that Christianity isn't nearly as accepted as it once was? Three out of ten people in the United States today don't even believe that there is a God or someone who has moral authority. Acts chapter 24, verse 14, Paul in front of Felix, the governor, explaining why he was in prison for the hope that he had. He says, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, because originally Christianity was considered a sect of Judaism, which they called a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything, the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Paul believed in a bodily resurrection because Jesus had done it and he'd met Jesus. And then Acts chapter 24, verse 14, but this... 24, 22, and 23. But Felix, having rather accurate, a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. You see, we were, the, the Christian church, they were followers of the way. And we as Christians today realize that Jesus is the way home. Amen? Jesus is the only way. He said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to his apostles, and these are last words, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, these are dying words that Jesus said. At the last moments, in the last moments of his life, he was sharing this with his apostles, the twelve, the inner circle. And, and a lot of times you will hear this at a funeral sermon, or John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. But Jesus was conveying that there was going to be hope amidst trouble, amidst persecution. And today, the church is under the same scrutiny and under, a lot of times, the same persecution and the same doubt. Let's look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. It says, Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas, doubting Thomas, who always has something to interject, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. But please notice what he says after this. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. If you have known me, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, 
So for some of you, this is your first time at our church, and, and maybe it's the first time you're joining us online. And so you don't know about this thing that we do at the end of every service. But it, a reminder, it's kind of a call back to purpose. And in fact, we've had some guests in the last few weeks who say, what is that thing that you do? And so today, I want to explain why we do that thing that we do at the end of service every Sunday. What is that thing we say? We, we talk about guiding people home. And it has a multi-layered meaning. You know, Jesus resides in here through his Holy Spirit. Jesus resides in this room, in this body, the church, wherever you go and whatever you do. But there also is a hope, there is a place that someday we will go, the kingdom of God, heaven, new heaven and a new earth. And that will also be our eternal home that we will enjoy. And so guiding people home is a multi-layered, has a multi-layered meaning that is built on scripture to help you remind you of what our purpose is. Now there there are some more last words that I want to look at that Jesus said that we believe and we hold up here. Not that everything Jesus said was ultimately very, very important, but this is something that we believe as a church body that we should do. In Matthew chapter 28, the, the last verses, these are dying words, these are last words Jesus has, and I have been fortunate at different times in different people's lives to be present when they said their last words. Now, this is what Jesus said before he left from earth to go to heaven. And here's what he said. Now, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, isn't that fascinating? Every time I read this passage, I stop here. And I say to you, do you know that everyone in this room, not everyone believes what I'm reading today? And some of you will go through times of doubt. There will be times when there will be a dark night of the soul, when something occurs, a loss happens, something is ruined, that you experience trouble, that you may doubt. Now here are people that, that lived and walked and were with Jesus in his last words and actually doubted. Can you believe that? But Jesus wasn't surprised. We will go through periods like that. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then he left. So we are commanded, they were commanded to make disciples, to make followers, adherers of Jesus' words, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey. And we are still called to that. In fact, our vision and mission is what we're talking about today. And, and 
And that, that is just the Great Commission in a nutshell. It's a, what are those words we say at the end of every service? Guiding people home, leading them to a loving father, caring family, and a life-changing faith. I love, I love to tell this story about one of our college girls that were over at Indiana State University, and she was hearing somebody that wasn't representing the gospel in a kind and compassionate way, and she gathered a, a group of students around and said, that's not what I believe. And she shared her testimony, and then she said, you know what I believe? I believe that God is guiding us home. And he wants us to have a personal relationship with him because he's a loving father. And he wants you to be a part of a caring family. That would be my church, our church, the church universal. And he, he wants you to have a life-changing faith. She used our vision and our mission to share the gospel and help to share with students that were experienced something that, that didn't represent Christianity very well. And it made a difference. Now, this life-changing faith is something that God does in us as we grow in Christ. We are expected to cooperate with the Spirit of God. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see what Paul says again. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is one, one passage in the Bible of many that talks about us growing in Christ, being changed, being transformed from what we were to what we are and to what we will be, because God is never done with us. And the church that we belong to should lead the way home. The church universal should lead the way home into relationship with Jesus. Now, this was radical. We have a hard time because most of us probably were raised in church. We're familiar with this spiritual environment. We know that it is well with our souls. But this is not true for everyone. And I just would like to remind you of why or what made the Christian community so different. We have a unique, radical, religious identity as Christians. In fact, we have a new identity that broke loose about 2,000 years ago. And I'd like to look at it today. And this is Larry Hurtado. He's a New Testament scholar. And here's what he shared. He shared basically this. Before Christianity, your religion was basically assigned to you. If you, wherever you were raised, whatever city, whatever tribe, whatever ethnic group, that is what you became. If you were a Jew, you'd become Jewish. If you were born in India, if you were a Hindu, you'd become a Hindu. If you were born whatever, you'd be whatever. If you were born a Norseman, you would be a Viking and you would worship multiple gods. But not so in Christianity. This is what Hurtado said. He said, Christianity brought into human thought for the first time the concept that you chose your religion. 
regardless of your race and class. Christianity also radically asserted that your faith in Christ became your new deepest identity, while at the same time not effacing or wiping out your race, class, or gender. Boy, does that sound current today? What are we fighting about? What is all the cultural upheaval about? Here are five unique features of the early Christians. And this occurred even through persecution. First of all, it was a multiracial community. I would say multi-ethnic community. They had never seen anything like it before. (coughs) There was no Jew. There was no Greek. There was no male. There was no female. They were all one in Christ. They'd never seen the the highest social economic group associate with the lowest social economic group. There was variety and there was diversity in the body of Christ. It was not segregated. Number two, they cared for the poor and the suffering. It was unbelievable that they would share all that they had. They had all things in common. In fact, the first fight broke out of neglecting the widows, which they were taking care of. Had a widow today say, hey, I need something done. And I said, we'll help you out. We'll send you some way. Because that's our role. We didn't create codependency. They did not do that. But they made sure that needs were administered to. Third, Reconciliation, there was forgiveness, there was a, a love and a grace and a mercy that was characteristic of the new community of Christians, of the way that set them apart. Fourth, there was a sanctity of life. The Christians did not abort their children, did not expose them to infanticide. In fact, there's a law in one of our states right now that, 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 that they're proposing that a newborn infant, the parents have 25, want, want to have, the parents have 25 days to decide whether that infant lives or dies. That is what they did in the New Testament in that first century in Roman culture. They, if they didn't want the little girl, if they didn't want the little boy, if there was some kind of disfigurement or, or, or a uh, birth defect among the child, they would expose them. It's called infanticide. And what would happen would be that the slave traders would sometimes, if the child could be a good slave, they would pick up the child and raise it so they could sell it as a slave. But that's not what Christians were known for. It blew their minds. The Christians would come and and raise these children as they were their own and give them life because they believed in the sanctity of life. And number five, what set Christianity apart and still does today amongst the cults is this, that it's a sexual counterculture because God intended for marriage to be one man and one woman. In that context, there would be a sexual intimacy that would be involved. All other types of sexual involvement are forbidden and are immoral, according to the Scripture, because God wanted the best for us. 
in that relationship. So when we say those words at the end of the service, guiding people whole, leading them to a loving father, caring family, and life-changing faith, we also talk about our values to believe the Bible. Now, I've been in conversations over the last few weeks uh, like I try to avoid at all costs because, you know what, every one of us, if we sat down, we would probably find something that we would disagree about theologically or doctrinally. We probably just would. And, and, and I've had some experiences like that where I never win an argument. I can tell you And I can sit down with Scripture and and share with you why I believe what I believe. And typically when we get to Scripture, we can agree. But when we fight over man's words of what one person believes versus another person and one doctrine and one theology and all that stuff, we can get really hateful when we start treating one another disrespectfully and unkindly because you're not right or I'm not right and therefore we're wrong and therefore we should shun each other. Well, that's not... Christianity. That is not being a follower of the way. You sit down in Scripture and say, here's what the Bible says. Here's how this reads. We probably can agree. Because we need to let the Bible drive our theology and not our theology drive the Bible. We get confused on what is priority. Another value that we have, another hill that I would die on is loving others. To be kind, to be respectful, but also candid. To love others as Christ has loved us. That's pretty simple, isn't it? To love others. It really isn't, is it? Sometimes we're unlovable, and yet we are called to love each other. We can be really difficult at times, but we still need that love. Now, if you're thinking about these values, believe the Bible, love others, it's, it basically spells out B-L-S-S. And we skip the E. We didn't make up a different value. But, the, but the, the third value is this, to seek God first. It comes from Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. And the third or the fourth value is this, to share Christ. We are a great commission church. We got some criticism here, here a while back, and I love it. They said, you know, your church, you invest too much money. You invest too much time. You talk too much about an outward focus that you are concerned about lost people. And all I can say is thank you. Because we're unapologetically about seeing other people come to Jesus Christ. We believe, according to Scripture, that Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. To me, that that says, hey, that we are a part of God's mission and purpose of bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God doing the work, but we are just being a part of that process. And our lives together make a difference with everyone we meet because He lives inside of us through His Holy Spirit. And so even though we live in an enlightened age that doesn't believe the Bible, who doesn't, they don't believe that God created 
they don't believe that there's moral authority and there's what moral imperatives even though and even through persecution we are called to live the way and to share with others a new way of life and to point them to a new home because doesn't everyone want to come home doesn't everyone deserve a home here and here and forever now we talked about a hill that we could die on and i hope that through this whole message you've been thinking well what hills on what hills would i die well in a couple weeks we're going to be talking about a hill that that Jesus died on and and the apostle paul said it this way he said in Ephesians 3:17 he said then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and to keep you strong see God Jesus wants to dwell in your hearts to make your roots strong to know that you have a home of all homes forever so again on what hill would you die Jesus chose a hill to die for us on we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks but we we know the story that he gave his life on a cross died for your sin my sin for all the sin that would ever be for everyone who would believe in him that they would have eternal life with god and so folks that's a hill he chose to die on these are hills that i hope you would choose to die on because people need jesus christ as lord and savior you need him daily I need him daily. They need him. Will you please stand as I close in prayer? Eternal God and Father, we are grateful for this time and for this opportunity to share your word and and Father to realize the price that was paid for our salvation, the price that was paid that we might have a, a forever home with Jesus. And Father, We're thankful that you dwell in us now. And you've dwelt with with us since we've come to know you and that we have a place to be with you. A new heaven and a new earth. And Father, I just pray that our lives would reflect as believers of the way, as followers of Jesus, as Christians in such a way as we approach Easter and every day that others will be attracted to your son. Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just pray this all in Jesus' name.